Hey folks, welcome to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream number 103. That's Prime, so don't go dividing it by stuff. It's not gonna work unless you choose very carefully. <laughs> That's right. That yep. is right. That was a, that was an excellent way to introduce us today. Um, wow, wow, is there a lot going on in the world? Yeah, holy moly, or mole, my, depending upon your. My eyes didn't just like almost fall out of my head today. They almost shot their way across a crowded street. I've been so bug-eyed with some of the stuff that's happening. I did notice them bulging when you returned home. Yeah. Um, well, we'll get to some of that today, but um, first, some logistics. Uh, today we're starting late, um, and as announced last week, we're not going to have a Q&A today. So uh, it's just it's just this, this first hour, hour and a half, whatever it is, and then we'll be back next week at the usually scheduled time at, at 12.30 Pacific. A few other announcements to start, and then three ads, and then we'll get right into it. We are going to be talking today, um, once we get through the logistics, um, a bit about um, science and not science, and uh, truth and not truth, and some of the ways that you can keep yourself healthy, and um, about athletes and what they are and are not allowed to do, and a little bit about giraffes, which is how we here at Dark Horse pluralize giraffe. We say giraffes. We do. Thank we do. you, Colin, for that upgrade to our pronunciation. <laughs> Indeed. Yes, that is our, our friend and former student, Colin, uh, who uh, alerted us many, many years ago to the fact that really it ought to be pronounced giraffes. Giraffes, yes. He also alerted us to the glory of brassicas as salad um, uh, makings. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we already were eating brassicas. But, but he, not enough of them. But but yeah, and he, he, was, he, he was vegan. He may well be still, I'm not sure. Um, but he at one point uh, was... Uh, talking about the paucity of other of other clades of of leafy vegetables in the salads that were available at the farmers market, you know, it was just it was brassica heavy, and he was he thought that that was just a, it was a bit of a bit too much. Oh, he was anti brassica. No, no, he wasn't anti brassica. He just felt like it was it had it been was, overdone. Had overdone. Overdone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so brass, uh, the the oversaturation of the farmers market salads with brassicas and giraffes are two of the many contributions that Colin has made to our thinking. <laughs> Well, he also helped raise our children. He was their their manny for a while. Oh, he hated that term, though. He did not he did not like that term. All the more reason to use it. <laughs> Sorry, Colin, if you are watching, I have no idea. No, actually, Colin, Colin has such a marvelous sense of humor. I, I I do not hesitate to chide him because he chides right back. He full does, force. yeah, but he's not able to. He can't reach through the camera and shake either of us by our lapels. Right. Well, once we're all on Meta, then he'll be able to. <sighs> We're not even going to talk about Meta today. No, we're not. No, 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 no. Um, we are going to talk about why? Do, why were we talking about Colin? Um, oh, Jarobs. 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 Yes. <clears throat> yes. Um, Johns Hopkins is not making any sense. Um, some athletes are the Jarobs. Well, the Jarobs are dead, so um, they're not making any sense at all anymore. Uh, there's a lot of other things we might get to, but probably not. We have a lot to talk about today. We're in sort of a, a, a silly mood because what are you going to do? This what are you going to do when the world goes completely insane on you? Here we are talking to you, and we are grateful that you are here and listening or watching and listening. And um, I was saying just before we started that I am so grateful to Brett for not just being here, for allowing us to travel through this crazy life side by side, but for actually seeing. We each see the world through our own sets of eyes, and we can compare what we see. And uh, we are 
we are seeing the same things. The same hard to believe stuff. Yeah. But when my eyes bug out and almost fling themselves across busy intersections, so too, it turns out, have your eyes been bugging out quite independently in some other location. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So um, announcements first, though. Uh, Again, no Q&A today. Um, with regard to our book, A Hunter-Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century, some people have been asking about <clears throat> excuse me, the possibility of getting signed books lately, and we were certainly hoping that we would be able to do live events and we'd be available for, for signings, and of course that isn't happening. It still may happen in the spring, but that's a long way off, and who knows what the world will look like by then. Uh, so one possibility, and so I'll just, I'll just put this out there, um, is that some awesome Portland area independent bookseller would be willing to associate with such abominable people such as ourselves and, um, and, and buy books as they were in stock and we would sign them. And then anyone who wanted to sign copy, we've been hearing from people who are interested in, in having signed copies as holiday gifts, uh, could order from that, from that bookstore, which would then help that bookstore in sales and would also allow you to get a signed copy. Uh, so if, if there were, I mean, there are uh, several, amazing independent booksellers here in Portland, but we don't know if any of them are willing to associate with such people as ourselves. So Who you called abominable. abominable. Mm-hmm. And because we are in the Pacific Northwest, that would make us abominable rain men. Yes. 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 <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes. This is what we're like in the afternoon. <laughs> this is what we're like after our eyes have exploded from our heads. Yes. Right. Um, <clears throat> so get in, if, if you know of an independent bookseller that might, or you uh, or are one even better um contact our dark horse moderator darkhorse.moderator at gmail.com we'd even um, take a dependent that. bookseller i'm actually done with the dependent entities that appear to be independent i'm i'm through with those i see yeah, yeah. now if it was just you know if, if that's if that's what was on its um All right, I'm with shingle you. out front you know dependent fully owned and operated by um, I would at least be interested in the the honesty, the transparency. But I will revise my statement. Mm-hmm. We will accept an independent bookseller or a codependent bookseller, <laughs> but no dependent bookseller. Codependent on with other booksellers, presumably. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. Why or not? maybe publish. I mean, that's the way it is, right? Publishers. That would be a natural codependency. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, If you're watching on YouTube, consider switching to Odyssey. If you're watching right now as I'm saying these words, uh, you'll find the chat live on Odyssey and not on YouTube. Consider joining our Patreons, please. Last month, last month, wow, this is going to be rough. Last week, we had our private um, to our Q and a, um, which you can find at my Patreon, uh, which is always a lot of fun. And Brett had one of his Patreon conversations this morning. We'll have the next one tomorrow morning. Those always happen, usually happen barring on, um, other things that are scheduled the first Saturday and Sunday of the month. And our private Q and a happens the last Sunday of the month. Uh, so consider joining us there. We really do appreciate the support. Um, oh, and natural selections, which is my Substack, uh, has, uh, got some, Additional attention, uh, last time as we talked about, I wrote about vitamin D deficiency, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about that about that today, and you're going to probably talk about that with some um, external guests soon, some, some excellent people with whom we 
have now made contact. Um, I also uh, last week posted on Halloween on zombies that we find in the in the natural world, non-human zombies, but uh, really the uh, zombification by fungus of things like ants and caterpillars. Um, and my post this upcoming Tuesday is going to be um, less political than zombies. It's going to be about why we shouldn't be medically transitioning children. So I'm just uh, going to sort of steer away from the storm and <laughs> yeah, steer away and, for, and the, go there into the other storm and yeah, into yeah. quite quite a different kind of storm. But one um, to completely mix my metaphors, uh, one with hills upon which I will I will die if I need to. A storm of hills, yes. Storm of hills, yes. A storm <laughs> of hills. Okay. Uh, without <clears throat> further ado, we have three ads this week. We are, as always, very grateful to our sponsors. Our sponsors this week are Soul, which is new to us, Relief Band, and Four Sigmatic. Soul is a brand new sponsor to us. Um, they are a sustainable orthopedic footwear company. Now, we already, for those of you who watch regularly or listen, um, already have one shoe sponsor, Vivo Barefoot, and we speak about them with um, great affection. Why would we accept a second, given that we've been telling you and we actually really do only accept sponsors uh, whose products we back? Well, this company is quite different from the other, and we honestly really love them both. Vivo Barefoot specifically aims to give you the sense of being barefoot um, in your shoes, whereas Sol, with both their shoes and their footbeds in particular, which is, which I mean, their shoes have their footbeds in them, bring structure back, but in the right way. And uh, the shoes by Sol are, are utterly beautiful. Um, our two boys in particular have been basically living in their Sol shoes since we, um, since we got the delivery a month or two ago. Um, and they're gorgeous and they get comments um, when, they, when they go to school. They're hanging such. out with a totally better class of people now. That's not true, but it could be. Yeah. No, yeah. Okay. Conceivable. Yeah. Soul, S-O-L-E, has created a foot bed that is in a, as in a great place to rest your soul that is affordable, customizable, and improves people's everyday foot comfort. Millions of customers have already raved about this product, and two-thirds of Soul customers have two or more pairs of these footbeds. Um, and it's also created its own recycling program, ReCork, in which they collect and upcycle used wine corks to make their products. Uh, ReCork has collected over 125 million wine stoppers to get ground down and reused into the company's own footbeds and shoes. That is really cool. Uh, like I said, our two boys, um, both teenagers, handsome young men, are wearing these handsome shoes basically all the time now. Our sense from them is this, that they do take some getting used to, which Soul itself acknowledges, um, that they are they are made for the actual structure of the arch and the footbed of your foot, um, or, the, or the shape of your foot. Um, so they take a little getting used to. They feel unusual at first, not painful. Um, but once you get used to them, they provide great support for your feet, and they look great. And um, that's absolutely true. These, these shoes look, they're beautiful. And if you're looking for footbeds to make shoes you already own, that you already enjoy, um, be healthy for your feet, try their footbeds. Seriously, try them. Soul has an amazing offer for first-time customers of 50% off through yoursoul.com slash darkhorse. So you can try Soul for yourself. That's your Y-O-U-R-S-O-L-E dot com slash darkhorse. We're so confident, they are so confident, that you will love them, that they also offer a 90-day money-back guarantee. It's very hard to go wrong with this offer. So the Dark Horse offer of 50% off through yoursoul.com slash darkhorse is applicable to all items on the Soul store, be it footbeds or footwear. Our second sponsor today. All right, Relief Band. Now, Relief Band, contrary to what some people think, is not a understudy musical act. It is a product to help you with nausea. But Thank first, you. We should talk, yeah. I was... Thank you Clear for clarifying that, that. Yeah, I appreciate uh, that. We should talk a little bit about nausea. 
Uh, under ancient circumstances, and some modern ones, nausea is generally a useful signal that something is off. For example, that you have eaten something that you should not have. In modernity, we still need to track our bodily sensitivities. We should not always choose to simply erase discomfort, like nausea, whenever we feel it. That said, some of modernity creates nausea that does no good at all. Travel sickness, for instance, can be agonizing, and relief would be lovely. Enter relief band. Relief band is an anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to relieve and prevent nausea uh, with, associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, chemotherapy, and more. Relief Band is 100% drug-free and can be used as long as you need it. Developed over 20 years ago, it is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. We asked a friend to try it out. Here is her testimonial. I have, I have had nausea on a nearly daily basis from both anxiety and the need to take regular medication. Relief Band relieves my nausea in less than three minutes without side effects I was experiencing from anti-nausea medication. It has entirely changed my life for the better. As you are getting for a road trip or a boat trip or expecting nausea for other reasons, consider Relief Band, which has an exclusive offer just for Dark Horse listeners. Go to reliefband.com and use the promo code DARKHORSE to receive 20% off plus free shipping and no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to reliefband, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code DARKHORSE for 20% off plus free shipping. Finally, our third sponsor for today is one uh, which you will already be familiar with. It's Four Sigmatic a wellness company known for its delicious mushroom coffee, as well as protein powders that contain mushrooms. It sounds weird. I say that every time I, I read this ad, but I, it continues to sound weird to me, and it maybe sounds off-putting, and I was skeptical, as I've said before, but I've been drinking their mushroom coffee lately, and it's really good. Four Sigmatic's mushroom coffee contains organic, fair-trade, single-origin Arabica coffee with both lion's mane and shaga mushrooms. The Four Sigmatic's ground mushroom coffee with lion's mane adds a little something, some crispness and focus. It's delicious, just like your favorite coffee, dark and nutty. All Four Sigmatic products are organic, vegan, and gluten-free, and every patch is third-party lab-tested to ensure its purity and safety. just want to say with regard to its gluten-freeness, you, as we've talked about before, need it to be gluten-free. And in this context, I have to wonder, how would they even get gluten into it? Like, where would the gluten come from? And yet, and, you know, and yet this needs to be stated now because gluten shows up in so many products that aren't actually what they what they appear to be. So it's organic, vegan, gluten-free. Four Sigmatic has a 100% money-back guarantee. Love every sip or get your money back. So we've got an exclusive offer with Four Sigmatic on their best-selling mushroom coffee for Dark Horse listeners. Get up to 40% off plus free shipping on mushroom coffee bundles. To claim this deal, go to foursigmatic.com slash darkhorse. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G. M-A-T-I-C dot com slash darkhorse and fuel your productivity and creativity with some delicious mushroom coffee. That is it for announce. All right. Now we are ready to talk about um, about other things. Eye bulging things. Yeah. Do you want to start or should I? <laughs> you go right ahead. Okay. Um <clears throat> Only a couple of hours ago, we became aware of um, a conversation with Francis Collins, who's the head of the NIH, um, on Lex Friedman's podcast. And we've both listened, but we really have had very little time to to think carefully through the various ways to respond. I have 
pages of notes that I am not going to to riff on here, um, but for a couple of points, and you wanted to just say something about one of the points. Yes, I want to uh, to do that. I, I should say I have not gotten a hundred percent through it yet. I'm okay. Uh, probably an hour into it. Yeah, I have. Um, I literally was not able to listen to the last two minutes yet, but I, I feel like I got the gist. <laughs> um, and lots, lots, and lots. Maybe of notes. the punchline is in the last two minutes. I, yeah, maybe so. Um, so Francis Collins is the. He's, he's been for twelve years the head of the NIH, spanned um, three different presidencies. Um, he is, as the head of the NIH, of course, the employer of, the boss of, the heads of all of the, the sub-agencies of the NIH, including the NIAID, uh, which is the agency that, that Fauci leads. Uh, and you know, without going into all of the details on the various claims in the podcast, this may not seem as strong. But one of the things that Colin says in this podcast is that in addition to SARS-CoV-2, quote, we have another epidemic in this country. It's the loss of the anchor of truth. And he, of course, is suggesting that it is uh, people who are questioning the pronouncements that are coming out of organizations like uh, the NIAID and the CDC and the WHO, who are losing touch with the quote-unquote anchor of truth. Uh, but given how many, how many untruths and illusions and um, sleights of hand uh, that he engages in in this, in this conversation, it would seem to me that he is um, exactly the person who is contributing to the epidemic to which he is referring. Yeah, it's perfectly ironic. It is it is perfectly. I'm just. I'm going to try to stay cool here. <laughs> I, the other thing that I wanted to specifically mention, since we don't have, um, I'm, <laughs> sorry, I'm not. I'm. I, I take back I, what I, I said no, about no, irony. No, no, no. This is not. This is not on you. I'm just. Uh, we decided that uh, I should not be let completely off leash today because. Um, I would. I don't think it might be fun to watch, and it probably be um, some riveting and maybe a little cathartic for me. But I don't think it would necessarily be the best use of our platform. Near the end of the conversation, uh, Collins uses a metaphor of being a midwife in this process, and I actually did not have time to go back and um, remind myself of whether or not he's talking about being a midwife in the process of of COVID, of the COVID response, or um, of the entire. Um, his entire time at NIH, but regardless, really, there are enough other things that he's done at NIH that um, that no matter which one of those two things he's referring to, this um, at the point that he called himself a midwife, I think I almost punched a tree. I was out walking while uh, while listening, and um, he's actually, I think, a better metaphor than midwife uh, would be that he's the, he's the doctor who comes in as a, a woman is. Um, getting close to being able to give birth um, perfectly normally. And, it, you know, it's hard and it's dangerous. And uh, the fact that we're bipedal makes it uh, makes it more dangerous and more difficult. And the fact that we've got giant brains, all of this is true. And um, uh, medical intervention has saved babies' lives and women's lives. But um, most births don't require it. And he's actually, rather than like a midwife, um, who is simply facilitating what was already going to happen and helping it along. He's more like the doctor who forces full medicalization of birth. He drugs the mom and he cuts her open and he rips the baby out. And uh, then he drags the baby away from the mom. Maybe doesn't let 
baby near the mom um, for a little while. And then, and then when the baby uh, doesn't attach at the breast or is otherwise uh, a little impaired for having had this incredibly traumatic birth experience, he blames the mother. That's what he's like, not a midwife. He's like that doctor. And this is um, just how, how dare he call himself a midwife. Really? Well, I actually kind of want to steel man his position. Oh, here. go. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> no, my thought is that what we have is a completely disastrous public health policy in response to this pandemic has been from the beginning. And Collins has been in a position to do something right about it, which he has failed to do he again and again. Yep. Um, it is not as much um, his catastrophe as it is directly... Anthony Fauci's, Collins is Fauci's boss. And so I would say that um, Fauci is more like the mother of this crisis. And uh, Collins, um, it's a midwife crisis, let's put it that way. Midwife crisis. I don't get it. Oh, no. <laughs> My joke has fallen flat. Midwife crisis? Oh. Oh, see? All right. Yeah, yeah I don't like it, though. No, I, I get it now, but I don't like it. I mean, A, I'm... I, I came in, in the door. Mode. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm full of adrenaline right now. But um, but I also... I guess I don't... Um, you know, m midwives have been vilified. You know, not, not so recently. Like, you know, by the time we were young adults, I think midwives were coming back into fashion. It was sort of understood that the medical, it was beginning to be understood that the medicalization of birth had been way overdone and that midwives having been, you know, pushed out in favor of high intervention, um, high credential doctors was, uh, was maybe not the right move. Um, but I guess I don't want to, um, I, I, neither of them. Not, neither of them have been midwife-like. Right, right. No, I, 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 agree. I mean, but this is, I mean, this is, this is, this is why some people don't like puns, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, okay, I, I get what you were Wait. trying to do, but no, no. Some people don't like puns. I know you. Nobody know that. likes puns unless you're making them, right? Yeah, Dick Alexander used to say that the uh, the person who was the butt of the the pun was the person listening to it. Um, <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah. No, that's probably he, right. He's a that's very insightful right. guy. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So, all right. This this midwife thing is a way that people distance themselves from responsibility. You know, it was happening anyway, and and it, it's sort of falsely humble. But in this case, actually, he deserves responsibility and responsibility for what is in effect an upside down response, where we've missed virtually every opportunity we had to do something useful and embraced all sorts of things that don't make any sense, and. Uh, um, anyway, it was very disturbing. I mean, he does appear to be guileless, and yet almost everything he says in at least the first hour of this podcast strikes me as distorted, warped, misleading. It was, it was an, a remarkable display. There's a lot of very precise language uh, that is delivered as if it just occurred. Yeah, it's a very precise language is a, is a good way of, of putting it. Um, and a, a fair amount of CFA, I noticed throughout. What's that? Uh, cover Fauci's ass. Um, mm. He did mm -hmm. a lot of, and he did it about as well as a transparent miniskirt. You could see right through him. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. Oh, no. <laughs> it okay, I would like the audience to recognize that that image that is now in all of our heads <laughs> oh. was not put there by me. I didn't do it. 
didn't do it. Wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done you it. You know, to the you. funny thing is, I said it without having the image in my head, and now you have forced me to see I that. I just image, don't think that I, this is my. You know, I, <laughs> I'm I'm neither midwife nor dime. I'm just I'm, I don't feel like maybe we should not belabor the point. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Well done. Yeah, no, you have no responsibility. You're like the oh the, the '60s husband in the waiting room. <laughs> Handing out cigars to rando strangers. To rando strangers. Yeah, look what I'm doing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. I should say. God. Putative father in the waiting. <sighs> did you want? Did, were, you, were you going somewhere else? Here? No, no. Really? I, I think I was. I think I was there. You didn't want to. I thought you maybe wanted to say something about that. You had said. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, you oh. Uh, you were done with your point. All right. So we could yeah. move on to that uh, that point. So one of the things that he does here. Um, is he attempts to cover Fauci on this issue of gain of function, where, of course, Fauci lied directly to Congress with cameras running. Uh, some of us saw it right away. You can check my tweet from uh, from that moment, and which point I said this is just a flat-out lie. No, but Brett, I mean, my eyeglasses are gain of function. <laughs> so, yeah. like, what... So, so Collins does this amazing thing here, which mm -hmm. is he basically argues that gain of function is effectively meaningless because virtually everything that we do that works is a gain of function. So that's not what we science well, types true. mean by gain of function. We mean something very specific and so narrow that you almost couldn't possibly meet the definition. And then he tells us more or less where the bodies are buried, literally in this case. Um, what he says is effectively, look, Gain of function in the regulated sense only applies to human pathogens. And because we're talking about bat viruses, you know, yeah. we're not talking about gain of function in the gain of function sense, although we may mm -hmm. be talking about a gain of a function. No, and it's very highly regulated. I mean, there's only been three uh, influenza viruses in the last several years that have been authorized to, and therefore. Right. And this is. Uh, nonsense. And really, its purpose is to lead you to believe that there's some very technical discussion that you are not qualified to understand. And therefore, Fauci has been simply insisting on a technical definition that you couldn't possibly care about. And, uh, you know, Rand Paul has been going after him based on common parlance. And it's like all some kind of scientific misunderstanding. It which, does depend on what the definition of is is. It, 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 it sure is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, it's it's similar levels of definitional games, games, yes, games, uh, in which you know that reference to um, Clinton being impeached in 1996, whatever it was, um, you know, the, the only thing at stake was actually his presidency, which to him was obviously incredibly important, but um, people weren't going to die over it. Um, but in this case, these, these definitional games are um, of far greater impact, tremendous impact, and yes. they are a matter of responsibility. So. Uh, he also does a lot of stuff. You know, he makes the standard play. He says um, that uh, although a lab leak is possible, it's very unlikely, based on exactly zero evidence, of course. Sure. Um, and uh, actually, uh, Lex asks him if um, uh, if this is a matter of science, if we will ever, if there's any way that we will actually ever know about the origin and. Collins says, well, yes, it's quite possible we will know. And Alex oh, oh. asks him how. And he says, well, if we find the intermediate. So basically the point is he has set up 
a circumstance in which only one side of the equation is testable. If it turns out to be a uh, natural origin, then we can prove it, and there's nothing that can prove the other direction. And so, and and the whole thing is just nonsense because we've we can see in the uh, the grant application that was recently revealed by EcoHealth Alliance, um, where they wanted to enhance pathogens. The entire argument for the research program involves enhancing pathogens so we can understand how they work before the pandemic strikes us from nature. So the, the, the whole thing is nonsense. He's just creating a false story. And through the entire thing, he strikes this um, this. Uh, stance in which he is the beleaguered scientist forced to engage an ignorant public. And yes, that's his cross to bear, and he will do so willingly, so long as in the end, the public comes around to the pronouncements of the public health authorities who have, of course, been right from the beginning, when in fact, they've been wrong again, and again, and again, and again, and they've been revealed to be hiding things again, and again, who most especially Fauci again, and again, and again. And so why is anybody listening to this guy? Why is anybody listening to this guy? He is lying into a camera in order to mislead you back into a story that has fallen apart around him. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of those examples in this conversation, um, which we're not going to pursue here. Right? Right. We will allow our eyes to bulge privately. Um, Good for now? Yep. All right. Uh, I did actually want to segue to the next thing we were going to talk about uh, with uh, one additional thing uh, that that he said, that Collins, the head of the NIH, said in this conversation. Um, He is asked, what can be done to stop the pandemic? And he says, and again, I'm not quoting here, but the full extent of his answer is, like, again, not a quote, but the full extent of what he says to stop the pandemic in this country. And, you know, and, and here as elsewhere, Lex does a good job of saying, yes, but, you know, what about? Um, but the full extent of his answer is vaccinate everyone, including children, socially distance, wear masks. That is it. That is the full extent of the answer that he provides for how we can stop this pandemic. He must know that's not true. He must know. He has been the head of the National Institutes of Health for 12 years, okay? How else can we actually control this pandemic? How can individuals actually take control of their own health besides getting vaccinated and wearing masks and socially distancing, which are the three things, and and making sure that their children get vaccinated if they have young children. These are the only things that he says individuals can do in order to help control this pandemic. No, he is wrong and he knows he is wrong. Eat real food, move your body, supplement with vitamin D if any of the following things are true for you. If it is winter where you live, if you live at high latitudes, if you are obese, if your skin is dark, if you are sick in any way, but especially with any of the comorbidities for COVID. There are a tremendous number of things that people can do to actually take control of their own health. And by doing so, the outcomes for COVID, the chances that you will get it, and the chances that you will get really sick from it go down dramatically, dramatically. Another thing that he says in this conversation, which is not true, that, um, that, your, that your health doesn't have an effect on, on COVID outcome. It's, 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 a, it's dead wrong. He knows it. Um, so um, 
we talked about vitamin D last week. I wrote a piece and we've been having conversations with people and we're going to continue to talk about vitamin D because I feel like vitamin D is the failure of the public health officials to talk about vitamin D is pointing us yet again, as other things have before, to something being very, very, very rotten in the state of Denmark, as it were. Let's go back a ways, though. Early in the pandemic, uh, and you, you can... Inter intervene here anytime you want. I may just I may start ranting. Um, Hopefully, it doesn't require intervention. Interjection, I think, is sufficient as long as we can just keep it to a dull roar. Yeah, please. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. You here? We got Zach in the room. We got Fairfax Look, sitting right off camera. I'm it, in, I'm in really good company, guys. I'm feeling okay. If intervention should become necessary, you have. Um, You've set me up to do it by wearing lapels. I have, yeah. Yes. They're, they're kind of, they're loose though. They, 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 they give, it's not the usual kind of lapels. I, I can work with it. Okay, good. Good to know. <laughs> good to know. Elastic lapels. You can, <laughs> Brent Weinstein, I can work with elastic lapels. Actually, that probably works better in a cartoon, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so early in the pandemic when Trump was president, and you all remember when Trump was president, right? And uh, he was early on, like March, April... February, March, April of 2020, it really seemed to us, to me, I'll just speak for myself, like he was screwing everything up about his response to SARS-CoV-2. And uh, March 20th, I think, 23rd, something right in there was actually the first Dark Horse live stream that we did. And it was in direct response to us seeing this just like crazy public messaging that was happening. And so we started these live streams specifically to try to provide a scientific analysis of what made sense, what was what appeared to be entirely political, but in the guise of science and what appeared to be what was actually going on. And, um, you know, we got a lot right. And we got a few things wrong. And I think we've come back to you guys when we did make errors in the moment. And, um, and um, here's one thing, though, that we haven't come back to you with yet, which is because we didn't we didn't get it wrong so much. It was like a, it was an error of omission rather than commission. At the point that Trump said whatever he did about hydroxychloroquine, and he was immediately uh, you know demonized and dragged to the streets of mainstream media and social media, both. Uh, I didn't think much of it. It was, it was immediately and widely dismissed as a possible treatment for COVID. Uh, we're familiar with chloroquine. It's relative molecule um, because we've both been on chloroquine and chloroquine-like things uh, for, as part of malaria prophylaxis. It doesn't work brilliantly um, for treating falciparum malaria or for prophylaxing against falciparum, but it does against the uh, more common Vivax, and you have to combine it with something in order to uh, be treated against the more deadly malaria that can go cerebral. But um, so, you know, it was a molecule with which we had some familiarity, but I only knew it as an antimalarial prophylaxis. And uh, I just didn't think much of it. And it's certainly a little toxic. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a drug that isn't entirely safe. I remember that from when we were prophylaxing with its relative chloroquine. So I didn't really think there was any reason to be considering uh, its effects on a virus. Again, I just didn't think much of it. I don't think we ever talked about it on the show. Uh, we made, you know, we, it was it was clear enough that the mainstream media was um, playing dirty tricks when uh, some. This story may have even been false, but we were told at some point that a couple had taken um, aquarium cleaner, which was not actually hydroxychloroquine, and maybe the entire story was a false flag. Like I don't remember the specifics. Like that, we, that story is confused, and yeah. I think actually uh, one of the individuals 
uh, may have been involved in a criminal attack on the other individual. But nonetheless, right. it wasn't. That's right, it, yeah. yeah. At any rate, it, like they weren't even taking the thing that, that Trump was saying hydroxychloroquine, um, but because they had heard him say something and they had taken something else, it was all put at Trump's feet. And of course, forever after, hydroxychloroquine was associated tightly, and this is this was never an accident, uh, with, with Trump. And so it was very easy to convince all of the very many people in the U.S. who, who simply hate anything that comes out of that man's mouth that hydroxychloroquine was not, uh, nor could ever possibly be, a valid uh, treatment for, uh, for COVID. Meanwhile, at the same moment, unbeknownst to us, there was a whole slew of doctors uh, who were already working with another drug, giving it to patients as treatment and soon thereafter recognizing its efficacy as prophylaxis. And here, of course, I'm referring to ivermectin. We didn't come to this story until, I think we mentioned it maybe once in the end of 2020, um, but we really started talking about it relatively early in 2021, and it, indeed much more, I think, it was it was May. I didn't actually have time to go back, but it was like May of 2021 this year. And very quickly discovered how many shenanigans were going on with regard to um, the dismissing of the abundant research, the failure to do other abundant research that places like the NIH should have been should have been making happen, the insistence that randomized control trials were the only standard of proof possible, the attempts to link ivermectin to hydroxychloroquine and therefore to Trump, which have nothing to do with one another except, oh, by the way, um, they're both possible treatments against COVID. You have something to add? Yeah, I, I want to go back slightly because. Um my memory of the hydroxychloroquine uh, fiasco is slightly different. Um, I remember hearing Trump mention it, and I remember thinking, huh, I wonder if this is going to turn out to be a useful compound, because my interpretation was that Trump was just a guy who was, frankly, reading the internet and grasping quickly onto things, and a lot of it would be nonsense, but who knows? Maybe there's some compound that, okay. uh, that's out there. And then I remember the flood of... Uh, claims that hydroxychloroquine had been debunked, that it didn't work, that it was dangerous, all of these things. And I remember feeling disappointed because wouldn't it have been useful to have uh, a compound that was capable of treating this virus that otherwise was effectively left to run its course? And Wouldn't that be great in a pandemic? Right. Um, <clears throat> so in effect, I bought it. Right. Right? I bought it. And I what I we, didn't we, we, we do... Both did. I didn't go back and check and say, wait a second, you know, is it, it was inconceivable to me at the time that the mere fact that a president, Yahoo as he may have been, had mentioned the name of this thing meant that we might actually do away with a useful therapeutic in order that Trump wouldn't have a win to his name. Well, but I, I don't, I don't think, I do, I no longer think that that was the causal factor, right? That it's that one was of two. that was like that that was useful because you could do two things at once. Right. Um, but it was as as I'm getting to, as you know, um, what I and we then learned by diving into the ivermectin research and the media, mainstream media's response to it and the tying of it to hydroxychloroquine and therefore to Trump and you know everything else. Like, oh, same thing is happening there. And Trump never even mentioned that, as far as I know. Right. In fact, right. Uh, when we started digging on ivermectin, so I, we did have a brief encounter with it where it's like, wait a second, something about this story isn't right. And then we then we got another data point. It was like, well, something about this story really isn't right. And we started to look into ivermectin. Yeah. And one of the things you find when you go back that direction is 
oh my God, these people with their ivermectin, it's hydroxychloroquine all over again. The point being hydroxychloroquine is settled. Promising, turned out not to be useful at all, probably even dangerous, nothing to see here. Now, then you, you know, later when you see how crazy the environment is around ivermectin and you go back and look at the hydroxychloroquine thing, it's like, oh, that was a hall of mirrors of its own that I didn't spot on the first pass. Exactly. So um, discussing it became verboten, ivermectin. Um, we at Dark Horse experienced that directly. We got demonetized, and we're still demonetized on YouTube, right? Um, as as most viewers and listeners will know, this for a drug, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be a dead horse. Um, that has been on the Who's list of essential medicines for a long time. Whose discoverer and developer won the Nobel Prize for it in 2015, even though it was uh, discovered in 1973, I think. Um, and a drug which is known to be effective against a whole lot of other viruses. We've talked about this ad nauseum. It's in that Substack piece that we published on my Substack in the end of July. Um, and I did think, unlike hydroxychloroquine, I did think a lot about this and um, wondered how could such a safe drug, which is also demonstrably effective, um, be so demonized and those of us talking about it be censored. Okay, so that's the second thing. Vitamin D. At the point that I then began digging into the vitamin D research, much more recently, in the last month or so, I was, I was shocked, actually. I, st I, I am amazed that I still have the capacity to be shocked by, by what is happening, but I am. I do. So many of the same fear tactics, dismissing of good research, amping up fears about safety, all of it, all of it are in play here as well. So just to recap some of what we know to be true about vitamin D, I'm going to read two short excerpts, um, and I'll direct you to both of these in the show notes as well. Uh, one from this Substack post that I po that I wrote a um, week and a half ago, and one from Linda Belkin's extraordinary September 2021 review. Uh, so this first one is, um, again, a paragraph from my Substack post. You can show my screen if you want sex. People can read along. Um, although this is nothing new with me, it's just my summary. Vitamin D is synthesized in your skin upon exposure to the sun. It can also be acquired through the diet, although greater than 90% of the vitamin D supply of our species is understood to be derived from exposure to ultra ultraviolet B light, specifically from the sun. The farther you get from the equator, the less intense the sunlight is, and therefore the less capable it is of helping you create vitamin D. Winter, too, poses a problem for vitamin D synthesis. Do both the lower angle of the sun in the sky, such that its rays pass through more blocking, blocking atmosphere before reaching us, and the fewer hours that the sun is above the horizon. Compound the two, winter and high latitude, and nearly no vitamin D synthesis occurs. That said, vitamin D is stored in fat for a long time, which is presumably part of how people who lived in far northern or far more, far more rarely far southern climes survived the winters without experiencing deficits before vitamin D supplements existed. Also contributing to these people's success was the consumption of vitamin D-rich foods like fish, eggs, and organ meats, especially liver. Um, may I have my screen back, Zachary? Thank you. Uh, apparently, though, from food, like you really actually have to have a diet almost exclusively of fatty fish, um, really almost exclusively of fatty fish to get enough vitamin D from your diet. Um, that's not working. Oh, it is working. That's nice. Uh Hold on, let's get my screen to work here. And Zach, you may show my screen here. So this is, again, uh, Benskins, um, who I have 
I kept on saying her name wrong. I really apologize. This is Linda Benskin, um, a preprint from September 2021 that has been peer-reviewed twice and past peer review, but she's keeping it in preprint um, for the moment. It's called The Influence of Vitamin D on COVID-19 Outcomes. It's going to be chapter four in this um, book, COVID-19 <coughs> and Nutraceuticals. The two paragraphs I want to read of, again, Benskin's review. COVID-19 is caused by a novel coronavirus, but the symptoms of severe COVID-19 are not at all without precedent. Respiratory viral illnesses of the past, the Spanish flu of 1918, SARS, and MERS are quite similar, and even dengue fever has the same basic history of illness. In each case, the initial viral illness is mild or asymptomatic for most people, with some sufferers developing symptoms more like influenza. However, as they appear to be recovering and their viral load is dropping, a few people suddenly take a turn for the worse because their immune system overreacts. This immune system overreaction, not the virus itself, causes life-threatening hyperinflammation. In the case of COVID-19, macrophages, cytokines, and fibroblasts fill the lungs, which leads to difficulty breathing. The increased inflammation can also lead to blood clots and organ damage. We know the virus itself is not the proximate cause of this organ damage because researchers do not find viable virus in the blood of COVID-19 sufferers, even when they have severe COVID-19. The rare exceptions seem to be when the virus is forced into the bloodstream from the lungs by high-pressure ventilator treatment. It is well known that vitamin D helps prevent chaotic immune responses, such as those characteristic of severe COVID-19. The cytokine, or, and I actually don't know this word, so I may be mispronouncing it, bradykinin storm? Bradykinin, that's going to be, Bradykine, it's not a word I know, but. Yeah, and it doesn't have an E on the end, so I don't know. Um, therefore, it should be expected that many COVID-19 sufferers will have low levels of vitamin D. Already by March 2020, dozens of published studies demonstrated that low vitamin D levels lead to poor COVID-19 outcomes. As of June 2021, a link between low vitamin D levels and poor COVID-19 outcomes was asserted in approximately 3,000 published studies and biological plausibility discussions in Medline Index Journal articles, including hundreds of population and case correlational studies, causal modeling, RCTs, and prospective cohort intervention studies. At this point, multiple meta-analysis author groups have concluded that there is a significant relationship between vitamin D, 25 OHD serum levels, and COVID-19 infection severity and or mortality. If I may, Zach, thank you. So that's what we know about vitamin D at this point, and the entire, the entire review is uh, extraordinary. Again, at one level, I'm surprised that I can still be shocked. Um, but just to summarize, and I saw you taking notes, I know you want to add to jump in here. We have a, a tale of three drugs-ish, although vitamin D is actually a, a, a hormone. Um, hydroxychloroquine, and in terms of us sort of coming into the story, this is the order in which we came to be aware of them, but all of these were being investigated and talked about and used um, in the treatment of COVID-19 from the very early days of this pandemic, which means that people heading up federal agencies like the NIH and the NIAID and the WHO and the CDC had ample access to this research as well. Hydroxychloroquine is fairly safe and seems to be effective against COVID. Ivermectin is very safe and effective against COVID. Vitamin D is very safe and effective and utterly necessary to human life. It's the triumvirate. It's not just safe. It's not just effective. It's actually necessary to human functioning. It is utterly understood by everyone who does medicine to be a 
to to its deficiency is causal in a number of unrelated to COVID to SARS-CoV-2 uh, infections and pathologies. And the fact that it is involved here should come as no surprise to anyone. And and virtually all Americans are deficient in vitamin D for at least some portion of the year. Exactly. We are never told to get enough D in in this public health crisis. How can we end the pandemic? Oh, you need to get vaccinated. You need to wear masks. You need to stay socially distanced. You know what you need to do? You need to make sure your D levels are sufficient. And if they're not, get them sufficient. Are they unlikely to be sufficient? Are you likely to be vitamin D deficient? You are if you live in the far north or it's winter or your skin is dark or you're obese or you have any of a number of other underlying conditions or you're old or you live in a home, or you, you're institutionalized in such a way that you don't get to spend much time outside or you choose not to spend much time outside. Any of those things are true. You're almost certainly vitamin D deficient. And guess what? You can control a large part of the outcome of your life, of your health life, by getting this under control. We never hear about this. Even in a direct answer to a direct question about what can we do, it doesn't come up. Why not? Why not? Um, well, why not is a question we can't answer. But I will say it does fit with the pattern of we have the public health response to the negative one. That is to say, it is the inverse of public health. That's the advice we are getting. And the inverse of public health would have you not taking vitamin D, not availing yourself of ivermectin if you were to become sick and not availing yourself of hydroxychloroquine. Um, I would point out for those of you, and there will be many who potentially see this, who will still have in their minds that hydroxychloroquine is the, the type specimen, as we biologists would say, for the case where something seemed promising and it didn't pan out, right? People hoped that hydroxychloroquine would work, and then upon testing, it turned out it, well, it didn't work and it was dangerous, right? If you want to dive into that story and see what actually happened, check out Rounding the Earth, the substack of... Matthew Crawford. Matthew 1T Crawford. Matthew we have, 1T Crawford. We have two Matthew Crawfords in our life. We are very fortunate in this way. I hope you all have at least one. Um, <laughs> but in any case, we refer to Matthew 1T Crawford as Matthew 1T Crawford to distinguish him from Matthew 2T Crawford. Um, apologies to you both. <laughs> in any case, Rounding the Earth Substack has a series on the hydroxychloroquine wars where you can see the propaganda campaign that yeah. overcame hydroxychloroquine and how it compares to the actual evidence and what it suggests about its interface with this disease. But I would also point out there is a conspicuous pattern between these three substances. Yes, well, exactly why I raised them here together. Right. Because they're hardly the only three things that are understood to be useful in, in treating or prophylaxing against. So what it is is... Um, you have three things that work. You have a question, which is if they're safe and they work, even if some people think they don't work, why wouldn't you employ them, right? This is the Pascal's wager point, which is um, that effectively, if you have nothing to lose by using them, even if they were ineffective, you wouldn't do any harm. And if they do work and you didn't use them, you would do harm. So you might as well use them. Why don't we use these three? Why aren't we recommending them? It's the danger. Right? So in all three cases, what we have is a phony picture of danger, right? We have uh, 
uh, horror, uh, basically ghost stories for hydroxychloroquine that don't turn out to be true. You have a propaganda campaign, which has now been demonstrated to be false, of people overdosing on ivermectin and clogging emergency rooms and ICUs, um, which is nonsense and, of course, doesn't come anyway. We have so much evidence on this drug because it's been used for so long that the toxicology actually turns out didn't have to be this way. It just happens to be one of the safest drugs that we've got. And then vitamin D, well, yeah, reluctantly people, including Fauci, will acknowledge, yeah, vitamin D might be kind of good to take, but we're not going to recommend it. Why? Because we wouldn't want people doing so without medical uh, medical supervision because they might overdose. But in fact, this turns out to be nonsense. You know what I'm allowed to do without medical intervention? I'm allowed to go outside. Really? Still. I mean, you just shackle For a little presumably. while, back there in 2020, they were trying to keep us from not even going outside, but the, right, n- no. Right. Just no. <laughs> so, and, you know, I, I, I do remember there were months there where you and I, uh, almost every week, were talking about that we couldn't believe our eyes, that we were being disincentivized to go outside. The trails, the beaches, everything was shut down. Yes. And you and I were pointing to the evidence, which was crystal clear, yep. that this didn't transmit outside and saying, why would we do this to ourselves? We're, we're confining ourselves to the very place that it does tra- does transmit and discouraging people from going to the places more than 99% of the earth is safe. Why mm-hmm. are we not doing this? And, and I it's think- It's not just safe. It's it outside is not just safe. Outside is healthy. Yes, it's good. It's not for just you. safe. It's actually a positive for you. For across physical, mental, right. all of the things, all of the vitamin health. D, psychological health, uh, controlling your weight, every possible metric. It's a positive thing, and I actually feel like we won that one. Like they grudgingly finally had to admit that outdoors was comparatively safe and they never totally admitted it in some places but we learned for instance this week that uh in jamaica the beaches and parks are shut down right right that you're that you're not allowed to to go there right which you know if you were to write a list of things to do in order to cause the pandemic not to be controlled this would be on it you want to shut down the spaces even just at the level of opportunity cost any hour that you spend outdoors is an hour that you're not spending indoors in an environment where you could actually get covid right so, you know, so what we have is A, for reasons that you and I may never know, that our audience may never know, we have a public health messaging apparatus which gives us the inverse of good advice. If you took the opposite of their advice, you would do far better, right? And then we also have something, there's a strange analogy from the paragraph that you read on vitamin D, right? It's not the virus that gets you, it's the body's overreaction to it, right? Just as we are dealing with COVID, a serious disease, but it is a serious, now, medically very manageable disease. And what is it that's gonna get us? It's this wild overreaction where we lock down everything and businesses go out of business and people Mm -hmm. lose their jobs and we go after each other, you know, demonizing each other as the source of disease. It's the massive overreaction, not the COVID that's going to get us. Oh, it's, it's perfect. Yes. No, these, these are analogous truths. Yep. And as, as you said at some point this week, COVID is very dangerous, Um, but we are now in the in the lucky and gratifying position to know so much about it and about what works. It's treatable. It is largely avoidable, and it's treatable and should no longer be treated as this incredible scourge that we are disrupting 
all of planet Earth over. Our fear is being amped up. It is being used to divide us. It is being used to control us, to force us to comply with ever more incoherent public health actions, such that uh, even the head of our NIH cannot include, will not include, basic, free to everyone, good for you in every regard activities that will improve your chances of not getting COVID, and if you do get it, of coming away with just a mild infection. Right. And the thing that everyone should track is the vitamin D thing, because this is the case where there is no excuse, right? The only, if the thing didn't work for COVID and you took it, you'd be freer of other diseases, right? You're yes. almost certain to be deficient in it. And the thing that we learned this week, which we'll return to in a future podcast, but the thing that we learned this week is that not only, so we all know this thing, and in fact, I've said this thing, so I used to believe this, that uh, water-soluble vitamins uh, are safe because the body clears them very easily. Fat-soluble vitamins, not so much, so you can overdose on them. This turns out to be true for hypervitaminosis A, right? That one's real. That's a real danger. Uh, so don't eat, don't go on a diet of pure carnivore liver, for example. Yeah, don't. Um, yeah, There's don't. so many reasons. So many different reasons. You'll probably start to smell really bad. Yes, and carnivores will and you might at die. some point come to resent it and they may eat your liver. But um, Yeah, probably not the ones whose livers you've already eaten, though. There's that. Yes, it's not as comforting as it might be, but I, I take your point. Okay. But anyway, I the, tried. <clears throat> the thing is, uh, it turns out hypervitaminosis A is actually the exception, and vitamin D among fat so among, among fat soluble vitamins, which itself is a category that is uh, a little squidgy. Right, and so vitamin yeah. D is a fat soluble vitamin. But here's what we learned: that the um, degree to which you can take too much of it and nothing bad happens to you is very high. And if you did take so much of it that you, in fact, had too much in your system, there's actually a metabolic pathway that unmakes it. So you have a built-in failsafe here. Yeah. Um, so. In any case, yes. track the question of vitamin D. At yes. some point, maybe we can embarrass them just as we embarrass them on the safety of the outside environment. Maybe we can embarrass them enough that they will have to grudgingly acknowledge that vitamin D would be a good idea for, for people for whom it would obviously be a very good idea. But um, at that point, we will know that people have finally uh, understood that they're being given bad advice. And until that point, you can just say, well, why am I listening to somebody who wouldn't even give me that obviously good, very powerful advice? And I will point out, Francis Collins, same guy who doesn't mention this in this current podcast, right? He does, in fact, invoke the overdosing of people on ivermectin sure. in the podcast as if that hadn't been debunked, yep. right? So the yep. point is, this is just, this is customer service you're dealing with. It has a script. You're not going to get them off of it. You know, Francis Collins is a very high-paid customer service representative dispensing a set of notions that you are supposed to uncritically embrace so that you won't listen to other people talking sense about things like vitamin D. Yeah. Are they bulging? A little bit. A little bit, all right. A little bit. Um, well, Johns Hopkins, Bloomberg School of Public Health, they are the uh, font of excellent medical advice and public health policy, I would think. Can I ask you a question I've always wondered? I would, why is it John's? Does anybody else have a Hopkins? It's not, it's not a, a possessive. There's no apostrophe. I don't care how possessive he is. I just want to know how he got one and if anybody else can. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Yep. I will. Yes. <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, show my screen for a second, Zachary, or for a little more than a second. Here's the, I'm on there. I'm still on a number of these email lists where I get the announcements from Oregon State Health Authority and Johns Hopkins and maybe the CDC about what they, you know, the state of the world with regard, the state of Oregon, the state of whatever, uh, with regard to COVID and uh, SARS-CoV-2, the COVID-19 situation report that arrived in my inbox two days ago, November 4th, has this little nugget. Uh, it's got a lot of nuggets. Under the heading, U.S. authorizes pediatric vaccine, we have this. Concerns remain over whether children in this age group will be at risk of myocarditis and pericarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle or tissue surrounding the heart, respectively, rare but potentially serious adverse events associated with the Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna mRNA vaccines. The risk is highest among adolescent and young adult males aged 12 to 29 years, and experts agree the risk in younger children likely will be lower. What? On what basis? <laughs> Why would you possibly think that? What we know is that myocarditis and pericarditis is an adverse event that is affecting, yes, not very many, but many more than were expected, young men specifically. 12 to 29 years old. Why 12? Because that's the age at which the vaccines are allowed to begin. Until it was 12 to, 7, 12 to 29 year olds, it was presumably 18 to 29 year olds because the 12 to 17 year old authorization came later. Experts agree the risk in younger children likely will be lower. Are they fucking kidding me? I'm sorry. Like, are they kidding? No, you go ahead, curse away. It's afternoon. The kids are in bed. How do they get away with this garbage? I know. Experts agree the risk in younger children likely will be lower. On what? basis right it's like uh if we were to survey people and figure out how many words they had in their vocabulary and we were to find out that they had fewer and fewer words the younger they got and then in the <laughs> infants were expecting a very large vocabulary experts agree infants can probably speak a lot and then they lose it before right. they relearn all of their language right later on. exactly yeah it's preposterous experts agree follow the science Follow the science. We have an epidemic in which people don't believe in truth. Right. No, I mean, it's it, look, it's it's a it's an Alice in Wonderland nonsense world in which, uh, who was it? Was the head of the FDA was telling us that masks were 80% effective and, uh, and then Francis Collins is telling us that ivermectin is uh, putting people in the hospital from overdosing. And I mean, it's a, it's a nonsense upside down world. And at some point, at some point when some system has given you enough really lame answers that you can figure out are just not right, you have to stop listening to it. Yes. Especially when it's a health system. It's not like this is, you know, um, guidance on how to get cheaper cable. This is like how to stay alive. And these people are not good at it. No, they're not. I mean, they may personally be good at it, but they're not good at giving you advice that will help you do it. I wonder, as you have, what medical uh, advice they themselves are living by. Yeah, well, I would imagine they have very high quality advice, but it's probably too complex for commoners or something. Mm, that's probably true. Okay, we've got a billion more things to talk about, but the two things that um, I was very much hoping that we'd talk about today um, that are still still to come 
are uh, the giraffes and the uh, and the cross country runner. Should we go giraffes first? Giraffes first. Giraffes. First off, we have this. I'm going to ask you to go back and forth between my screen here a couple times, Zach. Uh, Fort Worth, Dallas zoos plan to vaccinate animals against COVID-19. This is September 1st, 2021. Both zoos will use the COVID-19 vaccine made for animals and donated by Zoetis. Okay. If I may. And then that was September 1st. Um, by the way, in and of itself, that's a nonsense idea. Let me just show this thing and then yeah. you riff on that. Three giraffes died at the Dallas Zoo in less than a month. Experts are looking into whether two of the deaths are connected. Generally, zoo animals don't just suddenly keel over in, in numbers. Um, but yeah, let's go back. Um, I think first. I know what happened. <laughs> they got it's access. An epidemic, it's an epidemic of truthiness. No, they, they, they clearly, someone gave them access to the internet. They got bad information and they overdosed on horse paste. <laughs> Maybe they were allowed to be outside too much and they overdosed on vitamin D. Wait a second. No, no. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. Okay. Because giraffes don't like being outside. You, we've, got, uh, we've got to get somebody to draw an image okay. of an ICU overflowing with giraffes where like <laughs> their heads are sticking out the window. <laughs> yes, taking up beds that other giraffes can't use. Yeah, like three or four beds per giraffe. Exactly. <laughs> per giraffe. All right, that's not how you say that. But per giraffe. All right, I'm going back to the the tried and true colloquial. Oh my God. Okay, so there's there's some quotes in the CNN article that I want to focus on. Um but uh first uh why why, Brett? Steel man for me, if you will. First of all, I, I think we need to immunize ourselves here because we are making light of the death of giraffes, which is not cool. I would agree. I mean, it, it's First very, we put them in a zoo and then we kill them. It's very sad. And yes. my point, I guess, would be um, I think giraffes are always funny and they're even more funny <laughs> when they're alive, but they're still, it's just a funny animal. It is a funny, it's a funny animal. It's a fun, actually, yeah. baby giraffes are incredible. They're, are they? they? Is that just incredibly like incredibly cute? Okay. Um, but anyway, this is ridiculous. So Steel Man, uh, first of all, uh, vaccinating zoo animals against COVID. Steel Man. Okay, yeah. I, I can Steel Man it. Yeah. Um, many different kinds of animals do contract COVID and have contracted COVID from people. Mm -hmm. This is true. Um, that I would argue is actually a admittedly not especially strong, but it is a piece of evidence pointing towards the unusualness of this virus and it's possible uh, the increase in tropism that may have come from the fact that in a laboratory it was exposed to various different things like humanized mice, human lung tissue, ferrets. It could have been given increased tropism by being given an evolutionary problem that was very broad that would leave it capable of jumping from people to critters. I'm not familiar with this use of the word tropism. Uh, basically, uh, capacity to infect. Um, <clears throat> obviously, tropism has a different meaning in botany. Ecology, for yeah, yeah, that's that's where I know it from. Um, but in any case, lots of creatures do get SARS-CoV-2. Mm -hmm. um, that said, as far as I'm aware, the only creatures that get it and pass it on have been ferrets and a mink. And these are cases. Uh, wasn't there a mink farm something? Don't remember. Uh, 
there was a mink farm. There was a mink farm. But no, many minks in farms have gotten it and passed it on. A wild mink. So the only wild creatures that oh, have, okay. have been seen okay. to get it are mm-hmm. minks. And the mink in question was, this was, I haven't looked at this yeah, in a while, but the mink in question was near uh, a farm and therefore the mm-hmm. farm was potentially implicated. Yeah. Uh, then there's the question, uh, we have to go back. I do not know what the state of the deer research was, but there is a possibility that in deer, this was spreading. Uh, there was yeah. something strange about it, but, it, but it the weird. work looked high quality. Yeah. In any case. But it sort of, it dropped off the off the news. So. Yeah. So yeah. the steel man case, I guess, is non-human animals could be a reservoir for disease and therefore preventing the disease from getting a foothold uh, is a way of keeping the disease from leaping back from these creatures into people, which I do not believe it has been demonstrated it can do from anything other than uh, ferrets and mink. Mm-hmm. Which are very closely related yeah. to one another, and they and they share the ACE2 receptor that we have, or the same or type. Close to it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> which it might be exactly why they would be used in a serial passage experiment in which you were trying to create a human pathogen. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not evidence of anything. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. In any case, so that that is the steel man case is okay. that you want to prevent the... So now tell me what you really think. Well, Why did they vaccinate these zoo animals, Brett? First of all, I have, make, no, I, have, that... <laughs> I have no idea why they vaccinated yeah. these zoo animals. I find the idea of, well, we use the animal version of the vaccine... Uh, preposterous, yes. because what does that even mean? I mean, uh, obviously a giraffe and a tiger are very evolutionarily distant within the, the branch of the tree of life that is mammals. Right. Um, and so the idea of a vaccine that's so broad uh, is a bit strange. The idea that there's an animal version and a human version, as if humans aren't animals, and as if an animal version that has to cover some wide breadth is, is meaningful. But right. in any case... Um, there is a question about the hazard to these animals from, uh, and I was unable to find evidence on what the technology inside these vaccines was. Yeah, I couldn't either. Um, but the hazard to the animals from a vaccine that my guess is there was not a uh, a safety trial done on a thousand giraffes to figure out whether or not it was safe to give to the small number of giraffes that they were going to vaccinate, but... Giraffes. <laughs> But anyway, the, something is strange about this. And the fact that you rotten have... Rotten in the state of Denmark, like I said. Rotten in the state of Denmark. And the fact mm-hmm. that you have uh, drives dropping dead yes. uh, in the aftermath No, but they've got an idea. <clears throat> See, what they say here in the CNN article is, um, the zoo, in a statement provided to CNN, says, <clears throat> excuse me, we are doing extensive lab testing on blood and tissue samples from Jesse and Augie, them's the giraffes to identify commonalities and further pinpoint what may have happened. The necropsy results from both giraffes pointed to liver damage, which is leading us to focus on the possibility that they were exposed to a toxin of some sort, either through a food source, in the exhibit space, or introduced via a foreign object, the zoo said. (laughs) Boy, they'll just point to anything but the vaccine that they just gave to these animals. Well, maybe that's the foreign object. Or maybe maybe it's a needle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they should really clean up the needles that are on the zoo enclosure floor. Uh, Furthermore, quote, we also are testing for zoonotic diseases, including encephalomyocarditis. Okay. This, boy. Um, Zoonosis, 
Zoonotic diseases uh, is, of course, the go-to uh, for those who would say that it, the virus SARS-CoV-2 is not a lab leak. It's zoonotic because, of course, we know that um, viruses sometimes can leap from uh, whatever their host is to infect a new host and, and um, become endemic in that new host. That's what a zoonotic disease is. Um, but here we've got Giraffes dying, and uh, they're invoking zoonosis. Um, blame the other animals. That's that's the ticket. Um, and also just keep us thinking about zoonotic diseases. Make us terrified of nature. Make us scared of all the things that big bad nature does. And let's get big medicine, big pharma, all the biggies uh, to come in and save us uh, from those things that are outside your door. Better to stay inside too, because it's much safer inside. Um, the other thing in this little quote that got me was the invoking of something called encephalomyocarditis. Now this turns out, I didn't, I'd never heard of it. Um, I looked into it. Um, in fact, I, uh, here we go. Here's uh, the Merck manual, the Merck veterinary manual. So I could be able to show it just briefly. The Merck veterinary vet now, mm, the Merck Veterinary Manual on Encephalomyocarditis Virus Infection in Animals, and if I may, sorry, Zach, keep um, giving my screen back. Um, it is named, uh, it is in fact a virus that does infect zoo animals um, and is named for its tendency to affect the heart. That's the myocarditis in encephalomyocarditis. But it feels really suspect to me that post-vaccination, three giraffes keel over dead, there's no mention of the vaccination in this article, but what is mentioned is a myocarditis that is attributable to a virus, as opposed to a myocarditis that would be attributable to, oh, a vaccine. It puts, it, it's, it feels like it's priming the pump, potentially, for either they already know, they already did the necropsy, they already know there's a myocarditis, and much like those beagles didn't bode well for Fauci, um, killing off giraffes isn't going to bode well for this for this um, plan either, and best not to be able to blame the vaccine, but find some other source, and then maybe also start talking about at the point that myocarditis and pericarditis cases start increasing in say groups that you weren't expecting it to be increasing in, where people of certain ages don't normally normally experience these things, maybe you've already primed the pump a little bit and you start talking about encephalomyocarditis. I don't know. That's a prediction. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. Um, I know that there is uh, a rich landscape, a richer landscape than those of us who are new to the concept of myocarditis know about. Um, I saw uh, something brief from Peter McCullough, Dr. Peter McCullough, uh, mm -hmm. describing different causes of myocarditis and the different prognoses that arise out of them. So anyway, there's something for oh, us to learn. Oh, um, myocarditis from the disease versus from Versus vaccine. from vaccines, yep. Mm -hmm. You want to say anything else about giraffes? <laughs> I think we should probably do an entire episode on them at some point. Sure. Um, but uh, no, I think, I think we've about covered it for today. About covered it? Okay. Um... There's a father of a young elite athlete who reached out to us. Uh, the, the young man in question, um, and he said that we could even use his, his name and, and the, the place where he's competing and such, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, but this 12-year-old this is nationally ranked, highly nationally ranked in cross country, and in fact won a big race today. Um, and this father... Um, 
Mm, I need to be able to show this without showing my whole notes. Um, sent us this. Oh boy, where is the? Okay, um, I'm going to say some things and then I'm going to have you talk while I look for the screenshot, uh, which somehow I'm not able to show at the moment. Um, his father has basically been told that um, unless he vaccinates his extraordinarily healthy, athletic young son who is winning competitions and highly nationally ranked, um, he's not going to be able to compete anymore. He's going to have to leave the the uh, the team, the organization that he is currently part of. And the father says, in my view, these kids not only have little risk of exposed to COVID, but also they are among the healthiest group you can find. Despite that, the club is mandating everyone to get the vaccine. Yeah, it's not just your view. That's actually what, what the actual data show. Um, if you have young, um, young athletes who are so capable that they are actually so athletic that they are winning competitions, um, they are at little risk. Uh, and exactly that among the healthiest group that you can find. Um, he says of him and his wife, the parents of this, of this young man, this young person, it is not like we are uneducated. Um, I'm not going to, I'm going to elide some of these details, but, um, one of them's an MD with a master's in public health. One of them's got some master's degrees in engineering. He says, we know how to read data and we recognize tampered data. Finally, he says, I'm not going to vaccinate my kid, but I wonder how to leave the club with maximum noise to let everyone know how crazy and fanatic these people are becoming. Any recommendations, suggestions, or help? If you'll riff a little bit while I find this screenshot so I can show it. Sure. I, I, would, I keep trying to figure out how to phrase the issue. My sense is that I understand why there was confusion around the wisdom of vaccinating in older age groups. And really, from the beginning, the case was clearest as you got to the oldest age group, and it became less and less clear as you got towards young, healthy people who tend to endure COVID very well and who would also gain natural immunity. This is another place where um, uh, I believe the tide has turned. People are no longer uh, ready to accept the idea that the vaccine immunity is superior because so much evidence suggests exactly the opposite is true. Of course, theoretically, that had to be the case. But um, the the question is, as we get to these young people, I really want somebody to explain a comparison between the risks that they experience from the vaccines extrapolated to what must be the plan going forward mm -hmm. versus the risk that they experience from the disease itself, mm -hmm. right? Especially if you were to do something like say, hey, we need to make sure all young people have, uh, you know, no vitamin D deficiency, right? That would take a tremendous amount of the tiny risk that exists for very young people and eliminate it, presumably. There's a really good chance that elite cross-country runners um, are are pretty good on their vitamin D as well, even yep. though um, this guy lives pretty far north. But you know, their their athletics their athletics is running around outside a Outdoors, lot. Outdoors, yep, exactly, and presumably uh, running around uh, not heavily clothed so as not to to capture too much heat. Right. So anyway, it's a, it's a good situation for generating vitamin D. But the question is, look, if somebody was going to, you know, pressure you to vaccinate your kid, you should be able to say, well, all right, how much risk is there for a kid my age in their state of health from the disease itself? 
What is the risk that they will catch it? What is the risk to them if they do catch it? Versus what is the risk from the vaccines? And what is the risk from each of the boosters going forward? And how many do you expect they will need to take? Because one of the factors here mm-hmm. is if, the, if you know, and again, I'm not signing on to the idea that this is necessarily endemic and we'll never get rid of it. I really don't know that we know enough to, to think that yet, given the odd origin that this virus likely has. But if this is going to be a permanent fellow traveler of humanity, then maybe we are talking about annual or biannual boosters, mm-hmm. each of which would carry an adverse event risk, which could be entirely obviated by a case of COVID that was successfully treated or so mild that it didn't matter. So the question is, and I'm not saying this is not a public health uh, conclusion, but from the point of view of the individual child and for each parent, protecting that individual child as best as possible ought to be the priority, right? Mm -hmm. Society does not get to tell us sacrifice your child so that old infirm people suffer somewhat less risk of COVID, even though there isn't even particularly strong evidence that very young people are playing that role in the pandemic in the first place. But even if it were true... There would need to be a national conversation akin to, is it time for a draft? Right, exactly. Is is this a time in which our children need to be forced to sacrifice health or safety or something? And we haven't had that conversation. In That's fact, right. it's all been disguised as if this is being done for the kids. But right. the question is, what is the comparison between right. the risk of COVID, admittedly a serious disease, but much less serious for young people, in fact, not very dangerous at all if you're sufficiently young and healthy, right? right. Compared to boosters going forward that apparently need to be redone every six months, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think that comparison is favorable to the idea of let's do this for the kids. It's mm-hmm. a very different question. And Natural immunity lasts longer. It's broader. It's not just to the stuff on the spike protein and, um, and children. Healthy children don't die of COVID. Yep. Children can obtain natural immunity and be protected for far longer than even a fairly long series of boosters would protect them. And, you know, note the following thing. We have the claim the vaccines are safe and effective. How effective? Well, much less effective than they were initially claimed because they, the protection, what protection exists, decays very, very quickly. But uh, nonetheless, we are told that they are safe. What are we told they are safe based on? Based on uh, a very short, limited in scope trial. What has happened after that trial? The system that is designed to capture a signal of adverse events, badly designed, but a system that is designed to capture that signal has captured a signal that is unprecedented, and we are told to ignore it, that it doesn't mean anything, Mm -hmm. which, okay, let's take them at their word. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean anything. Where's the replacement system? That means we don't know. It doesn't mean that anybody's in a position to tell you that it's safe. Yep. And no one seems to be um, upset by the fact that there apparently is, if if we take them at their word, there's just no system. Right. We just have no idea. So I did finally manage to um, rustle up this screenshot, um, uh, which you can show here, Zach, what this is, uh, is uh, from the letter that was sent to the parents of this elite athlete in cross country whose 
who's you know not highly nationally ranked. Um, and the message that was sent says, in, in August, we communicated with you that it was likely that the COVID-19 vaccine would be authorized for use in younger children at some point during the cross-country season. As of yesterday, that prediction has come true. So I think his son is actually 11. Therefore, in keeping with the policy that the board communicated to you, we will be requiring vaccination for all athletes and coaches who are all already vaccinated now that everyone is eligible to receive the vaccine. The same week that we... Um, we previously communicated with you the venues at which we compete for indoor track began requiring vaccination for entry to those venues in keeping with the NYC's policies for anyone 12 and older, uh, including parents and coaches. There is no longer a test out option in place. So the the onerous um, but doable for, for people um, option that many places have now is you have to show proof of vaccination or uh, you know, a negative test within 24, 48, 72 hours, I've seen all of those, uh, has been taken away. And um, I couldn't, um, I'm not sharing the whole thing here um, because I thought it was giving away some identifying stuff, but this is uh, basically the the athlete himself will need to be vaccinated if he's going to participate. Um, and because his parents are unwilling, having done the analysis for themselves and for their family to take that risk for their very healthy young son, um, need to pull him, feel that they need to pull him from competing uh, in the sport in which he is um, excellent and um, finding, you know, skill and confidence and a social life and, you know, everything else that we would hope that activities uh, can do for our children. He has to pull him because he has made the very difficult choice uh, being he's forced uh, to make the very difficult choice. Do I take away from my child this huge part of his life at which he is excelling or put him at risk for something that uh, I think is uh, too onerous? And am I recalling correctly, one of the parents is an MD. I think yeah. you, you said that. Mm -hmm. So what we have here is a situation in which a uh, a mandate is being handed down by an authority in which a parent who is an MD who has the child's best interests at heart and is attempting to protect the child from presumably COVID and other things that threaten the child, like bad pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. And this parent has made this decision, and the top-down authority is going to override the parent or force the parent to make this decision in spite of the fact that there's no way this authority can demonstrate a threat to a healthy child because that has actually been looked into, right? The fact is healthy children are not at serious risk. Yeah. Whereas quite a number have died from vaccines. Yep. So um, we could go on and on and on, but uh, maybe we shouldn't. Yeah. Maybe we're there. Maybe we're there. Um, I feel like while well, I'm figuring out how to close this, Close us off, close us down. You should pull that guy into camera so that uh, he's visible. Want to, uh, uh, he's no, visible. They just good. can't see him. Yeah. No, we, no you're, we're, we're, we're good. So uh, for those listening, we're just pulling Fairfax into view. You're going to have to You're gonna have to stand. I know. You're going to have to stand him up. Stand him up. Stand him up. Stand him up. <laughs> he was earlier. So um, we know <clears throat> from Einstein that God doesn't play dice, but earlier Fairfax was playing dice. So, well, he was playing die, which is different. It doesn't sound as good. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know if he won or lost. Okay. It didn't work at all. No, it didn't. It didn't. It's okay. Um, so we're not going to do a Q&A today since we got a late start. 
We are going to be back next week, though, at the normal time at 1230, and we will take your questions then in the second hour. Uh, please consider supporting us on um, one or both of our Patreons. Uh, go over to my Substack. You subscribe for free to get um, to get what I'm writing about there. Zombies, vitamin D, uh, why not to transition your children. You know, all the usual stuff. Um, boy, what else? I've forgotten. Oh, um, again, independent booksellers in Portland. If uh, you were interested in uh, having people order signed copies of, of... See, he's playing dice again. He is playing. Um, well, we know he's not... God, God. is basically... <laughs> yeah, tell him that. He thinks he is. <laughs> That's Fairfax. Um, thinks he's God. Um, for our book, A Hunter Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century... Oh boy, I lost I lost what I was what I was doing there. Maybe maybe that's it for the announcements. Uh, oh, also our sponsors, which we stand behind. Consider consider following those links with the dark horse codes uh, for uh, to try out any of the sponsors that you, we have talked about that are appealing to you. Any last words? <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, Sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I'd like a. Can I get a month reprieve and come up with some suitable last words? Okay, okay. We'll give you. Let's see. It's it's November. I guess you only get thirty days. Thirty days. Yeah. All right. Well, I got other stuff to do too. I guess. But you got you to get your affairs in order. Yeah, I got to shorten that bucket list. That's the first thing. First priority. Shorten the bucket list before kicking the bucket. Is that why it's called a bucket list? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I never understood bucket list. Really. I think there was a movie that caused everybody to know what it meant, and we didn't see it. But. Oh, okay. I don't. I don't. I don't like the idea. I feel like you should be living. Yes. You sh- hopefully you are capable of living the life in which you are having the kinds of experiences that you want to be having. Anyway, a, a small rant for another time. Until we see you next time. Be good to the ones you love. Eat good food, and for God's sake, get outside. <laughs> be well, everyone.